Well, good morning. Welcome to everybody. Glad you can uh, make it to church if you're here in person. And just want to say hi to everybody watching. Uh, we, we are in this series called Jesus is Greater. So I want to ask you to have your Bibles ready, whether, whether it's a physical Bible or your app. And turn to Colossians 1 as we'll be going through verses 15 through 23 today. But I want to start off and I want to ask you to think about who is the richest, most powerful person that you know? What if I told you that I have a relationship with the richest, most powerful man in the world, Jeff Bezos, the CEO, now former CEO of Amazon. Where's my man Jeff at? There he is. Boom. What if I told you that I know Jeff Bezos? And you'd, you'd ask me, how do you know him? You really know him? And I would tell you, well, because I know Robin Cho. Robin Cho is a good friend of mine. He uh, attends our church, and Robin works at Amazon, and Robin is a senior manager at Amazon. He comes under his director. Robin's director comes under the vice president at Amazon, and, and the vice president comes under the senior vice president, and the senior vice president has a direct relationship with Jeff Bezos. Therefore, I know Jeff Bezos. And you would say, that is ridiculous. That is the worst logic and worst reasoning ever. Robin, Greg, is not Jeff Bezos. Robin is not Jeff Bezos. Well, I'm glad you see that and make that distinction. That's an important distinction. See, because last week we started this series on Colossians and Paul's writing this letter to the believers in Colossae. And remember we said there's this false teaching that's making its way into the church. This false teaching, we call it the Colossian heresy, and there's hints of different religions and philosophies in this teaching, including hints of Christianity, because they talk about Jesus, and they have hints of early Gnosticism. Now, Gnostic uh, belief teaches this core thing, this core idea that anything spiritual is good, and anything material or physical is evil. So if it's spiritual, it's good. If it's material, it's evil. And so because God is the supreme being who's pure and perfect and righteous and holy, he can't have anything to do with a physical, material world, a world that we live in. It's evil. So he has nothing to do with it. That would be the responsibility of lower spirit beings. They call them emanations. They emanate or come forth out of God. So these lower spirit beings will take care of that work. And so in this false teaching, we're forced with the question, who's Jesus then? And to them, Jesus is not the supreme God. He's just this lower emanation, this lower spirit being. And so here's the problem with this Colossian heresy. You can know Jesus, but that doesn't mean you have a relationship with the supreme God. Jesus isn't God any more than Robin is Jeff Bezos. See, they believe one is at the top. And then there's those who come under him to do specific work. They would say that's who Jesus is. And Paul's writing in Colossians chapter 1, this, this poem, this hymn, to show that no, 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 Jesus is more than that. Jesus is supreme God. And I want to read this passage, and I only feel right to ask that we all stand at the reading of this word. So would we all stand up as we are about to read from Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. And in this passage, this is one of the most robust Christological passages in all the Bible. This gives us a full picture of who he is. Because Paul is making this point 
that Jesus is fully God. He's fully man. He is supreme. There is no one higher because, he says in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That word means to be supreme. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Would you join me in prayer? And Father God, we thank you for this description, this picture of who Jesus is. And I just pray that in this time we have this morning that you would just help us see it more and more clearly, Lord, that you would help us to understand it, not just with our heads, but ultimately with our hearts, that the knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is would change how we live, God. And so I, I ask that you would teach us, teach me this morning, even as I speak, we pray that we would look to you to fill us with your truth. And so come, Lord Jesus, come. We ask this in Jesus' name, and we all say amen. Amen. Would you guys be seated? And so in this first verse that we read in verse 15, it says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. So circle that word firstborn if you're able to. And, and when we hear the word firstborn, there's a couple things that that implies, right? So f- for one, it means it's the first one on the timeline. Comes before us in time. But it also implies that the firstborn is the one who receives the inheritance. He's the heir. And so the firstborn is often given highest priority and is given highest rank in authority. And I think this is all true of Jesus. Jesus was the firstborn in time. He came before all else because he is the uncreated one. He's always existing. But I think the emphasis on this passage is the fact that Jesus is supreme in rank. He has highest authority and ranks above all others. He's the head of the entire universe because he was before it all, and in fact, he made it all. So if you're taking notes, would you write this down? Here's the first point to be made. Jesus is supreme because he made it all. He made it all. He's the creator. And so I want to turn your attention to verse 16. It says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things were created through him and for him. Would you circle those two little words, all things? And in those two little words contains everything. And the point Paul's making in summary is that nothing in this universe exists on its own accord for its own sake. As the head of the universe, everything was created by Christ, through Christ, for Christ. If he breathed it into existence, if he allows it to exist, it exists for his glory. It was made for him, for his sake. 
That means from the tiny little ant hole to the Grand Canyon. From that annoying lawn weed to the giant sequoia. From that most arrogant, annoying coworker of yours to the sweet little lady down the street. From kale salad to the city slicker barbecue bacon cheeseburger with well done fries and a side of Diet Coke for the glory of Christ as it exists. For the glory of Christ. From this screen to that screen, they exist for the glory of Christ. From coronavirus to chemotherapy, it exists for him. Cancer exists for the glory of Christ. One of the faithful servants here at the church, you may have seen him or maybe you know him personally, but his name is Sir Francis. Sir Francis hasn't been here for several weeks now. I mean, he's such a faithful servant. It's, it's weird not to see him. He serves on our tech team and our Tuesday night prayer ministry. He's always there faithfully praying for you, the church body. I believe he serves on security. I don't know if that's formal or not, but he's always around week in, week out, multiple services he's serving. And so it's been weird not to see him for several weeks. And if you know him, if you've been up close to him, you know that for a while he's had this big mass on his neck. And when he finally went to go get it checked out, turns out that sure enough it was cancer. He, he was diagnosed with a rare variant of Hodgkin's and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so he's been out trying to deal with that and get that uh, taken care of. This past week, he texted me and he says, may I come in and talk with you and Pastor Gary just for a few minutes? I just need five minutes. We said, sure, of course, come in. So we, we had him come in that day. And he comes to the office and he shows up with his daughter. And so they come, come in, they sit down, and we, we just start chit-chatting, five minutes, catching up. How have you been? And then after five minutes of chit-chat, Sir Francis says, I spoke with the doctors yesterday, and so I want to let you know I have to say goodbye. And Pastor Gary and I are not wanting to believe what our ears were hearing. We're, we're like, what do you mean you have to say goodbye? And he had a scroll in his hand, and he unrolled the scroll, and he says, I have to say goodbye to cancer. Amen. And we're like, oh, my gosh, don't do that. Don't do that, right? And so praise God because Sir Francis's cancer bows to Jesus. All throughout his cancer, Sir Francis has been shining the light on his Savior to the doctors at the hospital, to the patients in the room when he sees despair in their eyes, to his daughter who has walked through this whole journey with, with dad and and. All the while, he's talking about his faith in his powerful God. And I know one day Sir Francis wants to come and he's going to want to testify before you the details of this God-glorifying story. But, but listen, when it was determined that his cancer was gone, he said, the doctor said to him, your faith has healed you. He said, it was your faith in your God that has saved you. Sir Francis' cancer bows to Jesus and serves him. For Jesus is supreme over all things. I know some of you, you must be thinking right now, but what about, what about when cancer doesn't go away? What about my Christian friend who passed away because of cancer? I don't want to say hold on to that thought because I'm going to address that. I believe this passage addresses that. But I want to stay right now on verse 16 because Paul goes to the extreme 
to show just how supreme Jesus is. Verse 16, he even says that even the thrones or powers, rulers and authorities were created for him. Now, when you're a Christian in the first century and you're reading this, you know what he's talking about. You know he's not talking about earthly kings and governments of earthly nations. You know exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about spiritual forces, demonic powers in the heavenly realms. Cross-reference Ephesians chapter 6, it makes very clear he's not talking about flesh and blood. He's talking about spiritual force, demonic forces. So it's like, hold up. Hold up, Paul. You're saying that, that even demons and evil spirits were created by God and for God? And I want to say biblically speaking, yes. Remember that demons are fallen angels. Who created the host of angels? God did. And God created the angels, the angelic beings, to worship him and to serve him. That was their purpose. But we know from Revelation chapter 12 that a third of the angels fell as they followed Satan in the rebellion. So a third of the angels that were created by God rebelled and turned against God. And so the question is, God, isn't, isn't he omniscient? Doesn't he know all things? Wouldn't he know that a third of the angels would eventually fall and turn against him? He could have seen that. So why did he create them? Why would he create them knowing that they would fall? And the answer, I believe, is because he knew that even after they fell, they would still exist to serve and glorify him. Just like disease just like Sir Francis's cancer, even the demons will contribute to his glory. See, theologically speaking, I read the Bible and I see this truth. It says that Satan is powerful. And it also tells me that the demons are powerful. That's true. But you know what else is theologically true coming from the same source? He is greater. Jesus is greater. Jesus is supreme and he is head overall because he made it all and he ranks highest in authority. So the reality is, yes, there is spiritual battle. There is. But there is no struggle for Jesus. There is a spiritual battle, but there is no struggle for the spirits will serve to ultimately magnify him and put his power on display. That's what we know is true. You know, when I was in middle school, I, I, I did a biographical report, and I, and I chose to do it on the great Harry Houdini, known as the greatest magician of all time. And so, so I, I, I'm reading about his life, and he started off his career doing simple card tricks, sleight of hand tricks. Everybody was doing that. And so that's how he started. But as his career went on, he needed something more, something greater. So he started doing escape Routines, And he became known as the greatest escape artist of all time. And his escapes would get more and more daring, more and more challenging as time went on. And so, like, for example, he started off with a trick. Uh, he called it the milk tank trick where he would handcuff himself. He would chain himself up. And then he would be put in a tank of water. And he would be sealed in the tank of water. And his job was to break free and get himself out within a couple minutes. Nobody was doing this stuff at the time. And then he, he came up with a trick where he would put himself in a straitjacket 
and he would chain himself up, he would shackle himself, he would hang himself upside down by the ankles from a tall building crane, and he would have three minutes before a live audience to get himself free out of that straitjacket and onto the ground. Well, one of his most famous tricks is known as the Chinese water torture. And what this trick was, it was pretty much a combo of all his most daring tricks. So it was like those tricks combined. So what he did was he, he would have himself in a straitjacket, chained up, locked up, tied by the ankles, hung upside down, and then dunked into a tank of water. And he would always, when he did this trick, he'd always have assistants nearby with the axe ready to break the glass to free him if he didn't get out within two minutes. Otherwise, he would die. And so he would do these escape acts. And the question is, why are you doing this stuff, Harry Houdini? Why not just stick to the safe car tricks, the harmless car tricks? Why create these obstacles and these challenges and these hindrances for yourself? I'll tell you why. Because Houdini believed he could escape and overcome every time. He believed he could escape every time. He would only create a situation where he believed with all his heart that he would be able to come out successfully and with every escape brought him more glory and more fame. That's why. Why would Christ, who is the maker of all things, why would he create a world with disease and demons, with sin and suffering? Why would Jesus do that when he could have created a world without it? Like it could have been a good world with none of this in it. Why would he do it if he's so powerful? And I'll tell you why. Because Christ is supreme over all things. He has ultimate authority. And he knows there is nothing, nothing in this universe that he does not overcome. All things bow to his authority and he only brings things into existence that will come under his authority and ultimately bring him glory. There is glory when right things go right. But glory is maximized when the wrong things in this world are made right. Glory is maximized when the wrong is made right. And so Jesus knows that disease will be dealt with. He knows that demons will be dealt with. He knows that sin will be dealt with. He knows that suffering will be dealt with. And the question is how? And the answer is only by the power of his resurrection. Only by the power of his resurrection. See, not only is Jesus supreme because he made it all, he is supreme because he paid it all. So would you guys write this down for the second point for today? Jesus is supreme because he paid it all. He paid it all. Look at verse 18. It says, and he is the head of the body, which is the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He might be supreme. Circle that word firstborn again. He says it again. You know, when Harry Houdini uh, would perform a trick or make an escape, like people watching this for the first time, they're like, <gasps> they're like holding their breath. It's suspenseful. They're, they're hanging on to the edge of their seat. Is he going to make it? Is he going to survive? How is he going to get out? How is he going to do it this time? And people are wondering if he's going to live through it. 
The reality is for Harry Houdini, nothing was a surprise. Like he, he was never caught off guard. Harry Houdini wasn't trying to figure things out on the fly in the middle of a trick when he has only two minutes. He's not trying to think, hmm, what kind of locks are these? Like what brand are we using today? And he's not thinking, huh, in the middle of a straitjacket trick, how do straitjackets work? I have two minutes to try to figure this out. No, nothing surprised him. Everything was calculated. Everything was mapped out. Everything was skillfully planned. Nothing caught him off guard. He had foreknowledge. He knows what he's getting into. Jesus is before all creation. And nothing surprises him or catches him off guard. He made all things. He made humans. He made angels. He made the world, all of creation. And when sin came into the world, it broke everything. Everything was fallen at that point. But God is not caught off guard. Sin doesn't come in and God goes, my bad. Or like, boy, I didn't see this coming. He's not trying to figure things out on the fly. Like, how, how am I going to deal with the fallenness of man? Like, what am I going to do about this world that's been broken? Jesus is not caught off guard. He's not figuring things out on the fly. All of this has been planned from the beginning. Verse 19 says this, verse 19 and 20. For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So would you circle that word reconcile? That means to make wrong things right. And so this has been a plan. The fullness of God is pleased to dwell in Jesus. He knew from the very beginning that it would take one who was fully God and fully man to reconcile all things and make right the wrong by taking it to the cross. Jesus would only allow brokenness in the world because he knew he would fix it. He would only allow disease because he knew he could heal it. He would only allow sin because he knew he would redeem it. He would only allow demons to exist because he knew he would defeat them. All of this is under his authority. How would he do all this? By his death and his resurrection. Jesus made it all. And when it all went wrong because of sin, Jesus then paid it all to reconcile all that sin made wrong. So listen, the cross and the grave is not plan B because plan A failed miserably. This is all still plan A. The cross and the grave, the death and the resurrection is not plan B. Paul's heart for the Colossians is that they know that they are part of his plan. And my heart for our church is that we know we're included in his plan. Verse 22, 21 through 23, the last three verses, says this, And you, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, circle those three words, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body. He's made it right in his body of flesh by his death, In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. 
If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so listen, Jesus died and he rose so that we'd be reconciled. That was always his plan. That's how his glory is maximized. I've been talking about Harry Houdini a lot. If you think I'm trying to compare Jesus, supreme ruler of the universe, to Harry Houdini, you're wrong. Like Harry Houdini, one of his most famous performances, you could look it up, it's called Buried Alive. Don't look it up now, okay? But Buried Alive is this trick where he would bury himself in a six-foot grave. And he tried this before people. He buried himself in a six-foot grave, had his assistants cover him with dirt from the earth, and he was gonna attempt to climb out of the grave. And as he did this before people, he's trying to climb out of the grave, and as he's trying to climb through six feet of earth, all of a sudden, he's exhausted, and he starts trying to scream for help. He's trying to shout, help, help, and he couldn't. And as soon as his hand broke forth from the surface, his hand goes limp. He had lost consciousness. And so his assistants rush to dig out the grave, and they, they rush, and they pull Harry Houdini out from the grave, and Harry Houdini is unconscious, barely breathing. And thank God, eventually they were able to bring him to. He almost died. And here's what Harry Houdini wrote in his own diary after that. His own words, he wrote this. He said, it is too dangerous. The weight of the earth kills. That's what he said. He said, the weight of the earth kills. While the weight of the earth nearly killed Harry Houdini in the grave, our Jesus broke forth from the grave, and now he carries the weight of the world in the palm of his hands. The supreme God of this universe holds the weight of the world in his hand. Is there anything too heavy or too hard for our God? There is nothing. He is supreme. He is master. And this is his master plan. He died on the cross to make peace. And he rose from the grave to prove his power. And by his death and resurrection, he has overcome. And I love this because in verse 18, it told us that he's the firstborn from among the dead. That means he's the first to rise. He's the first to rise from the dead only to live forever again. He's the first one. Lazarus died, but he just died again. He rose and then he died again. Jesus rose, but he lives forever on the throne of God. Now check this out. When Jesus resurrected, the church began. And all those who believe in his death, that he died for your sins, and that he rose from the dead to prove his power, you have been brought in to his body, to the church, where he is now the head of this body. Now, let me give you a brief anatomy lesson, okay? Quick, quick uh, science lesson here about the human body. Where the head goes, so does the body. Don't forget that, okay? So, so like when my mind told me to go to church today, my body went with it. When my brain tells me tonight it's time to sleep because I'm tired, my body's going down with it. The head and the body are one. Don't forget that. You learned it here. Okay, where, where the head goes, 
the body goes. And if the head goes to the grave, so will his body. We follow after him. But if the head rises from the grave, then so will his body. For we follow after him. The head and the body are one. So here's the hope that you have. If you trust in Jesus Christ, who died and rose from the grave for you, if you trust him as your Lord and Savior, you've been brought into his body, the church, and because Christ has overcome all things, then so will you. So will you. Sir Francis's cancer bowed to the authority of Jesus, and it still bows because Sir Francis will continue to minister to all those around him and make known his hope and his faith in Christ. He'll, he'll keep, I know him. He will. But I know some of us must be wondering, well, what about that Christian who didn't beat cancer? What about my brother who didn't beat COVID? What about my, about my sister who has battled depression all her life? What about my parent who is battling dementia, losing her mind to dementia and probably won't come back from that? I did a memorial service yesterday. I did a funeral for a young man in our church. He battled muscular dystrophy uh, most of his life. Ever since the age of 12, he lost the ability to walk, so he is bound to a wheelchair. He was determined to make it to 30 years old. He said, I'm gonna live to at least 30. On July 8th of this month, he passed away at 27. 27 years old. But listen, Taylor believed in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is a picture of him declaring his faith in Christ. Did muscular dystrophy win? Did he succumb to his disease? Please, please. Did he succumb? No, in Christ he has overcome. That wheelchair that he needed for 15 years is no longer needed. Muscular dystrophy has been defeated. In Taylor's resurrection body, he will be able to stand, he will be able to dance in the power of his resurrection Lord. In the body that God gives him, he will be able to use every facet to stand, to dance, to worship, to fall intentionally this time as he worships the supreme being. He hoped, he hoped he would live 30 years. I'll tell you this, when he hits 30 million years, he'll just be getting started. For he will enjoy the rest of eternity with everything he's ever imagined as Christ will bless him in his presence forever and ever. Jesus is the head of this church. And the body will do as the head does. We follow the firstborn. The body goes where the head goes. Don't forget that. If Jesus died in the flesh, then so will we. We follow after him. But if he rose and he conquered the grave and came out glorified, unblemished, given a perfect mind, perfect body, perfect health, to dwell forever and ever in heaven, then so shall we. For we follow after him. Jesus made it all. And then Jesus paid it all. And that makes Jesus supreme. He is master and this is his master 
plan. That's our God. Anybody in here love Jesus? Let's give him a shout of praise. Amen. It is so good to know him personally, but let me tell you this. It's one thing to know Jesus and to know about him, but it's meaningless if we do nothing about it. And so let me give you a takeaway application. There's so many things we could take away from this passage. Let me just give you one, and I hope you'll live it out. And I want to ask the question, how can the body honor the head? How can the church bring glory to Jesus Christ? And the answer is this, do as the head does. Do as the head does. If the body follows the head in death, and if the body follows the head in resurrection, then may we, the body, follow the head in life. May we be about what Christ is about. According to this passage, Christ's cosmic purpose, according to this passage, was to reconcile all things to himself, to make right that which has gone wrong. And so reconciliation in a fallen world was and is and will always be plan A until it is reconciled. And so let his body then be ministers of reconciliation. Let his church then be ambassadors of his peace. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18 through 20 says this. It says, all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, he reconciled you. Now go and be ministers of this reconciliation. Therefore, it says in verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. He's appealing to the world. Be reconciled. Be at peace with me. And he's making that through us, his ministers and his ambassadors. And so church, will we make it our life's ambition? Will we make this our top priority, our greatest mission to bring the message of reconciliation and peace with God, their creator? May we bring it to the world. Three weeks ago, uh, my family was up in Monterey. We were just gonna spend a couple days there and I was excited because there's a certain mountain bike trail that I wanted to try. I've been reading about it. I've been watching videos, and I, I just couldn't wait. So I brought my mountain bike up along with my family, and we go stay in Monterey. And the morning of July 4th, I'm excited. Like, I get geared up. It's 6.30 in the morning. I'm excited to finally try this trail. And so I, I, I go out to my car, and I walk out to my car. And as I get up to my car, my heart sinks to the pit of my stomach. Because as I walk up, I see two steel cables that had been cut. And my most prized and most valuable possession, my mountain bike had been stolen by some thief. And I literally, I stood there like speechless. I just stood there staring, not wanting to believe what I'm seeing. And I, and I remember I just turned around and I walked back to my hotel room like a zombie. I'm like walking like a zombie. I get to my hotel room. I tell my wife, I say, Monica, someone just stole my mountain bike. And I get into bed and I just lay there in bed for the next two hours. I'm just absolutely shocked. Just my heart's just been ripped out of my chest. And as I'm laying there, man, I'm just, 
more than the fact that my, my mountain bike, my most prized possession is gone, which, I mean, that hurt, that bothered me. But even more than that, I was bothered that there's this evil person who ran off with something so meaningful to me, and he's probably going to do it again. And as I'm laying there, during the course of those two hours, I begin praying, and I start praying, and I say, Father God, may this thief find the peace of Jesus, and may he ride that bike straight into a church where he'll encounter the spirit of the living God. <laughs> Not like I'm praying, God, get him. Like, get him. And like, I'm, I'm remembering Romans 12 where the Lord says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I'm like, God, Romans 12, give him. Give him your wrath. Get him. And, and, I, and I'm praying, God, would he ride that bike straight off of a cliff in Jesus' name? Right? And I'd be lying to you if I told you that I did not wish God's wrath upon him, because I did. And I may or may not have fantasized about him going over the bars and ending up behind bars. But how should this passage impact me? I should follow after the head. If his purpose is to reconcile those who have been alienated, as it says in verse 21, and to reconcile those who do evil deeds. And he did that for me when I was alienated and living in evil deeds. Then I need to be about that. And if my Jesus is about reconciliation, and that brings him supreme glory, then may I be his ambassador. May I be a minister of reconciliation. May I long for all of creation to be reconciled to. And so I'm forced to ask myself, what's more important, my bike or his glory? What's more important, my bike or this thief's eternal soul? And my answer, my bike. (laughs) Obviously my bike. That's what my flesh says. That's what I naturally feel. But may the Spirit of God supernaturally conform my heart to His. May the Spirit of God supernaturally conform the body to the head so that the body would match the head. Jesus is supreme. And the Bible says one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some will bow out of dreadful humiliation like disease and demons. And the rest will bow out of joyful adoration like those who belong to the body. And so church, may we help people see Jesus. May we Pray for the bike thief to know Jesus. May we care about that family member that you don't like right now. May we long for the soul of that coworker who just stole your title and position. May we seek out that student who's been rejected by all else on campus. May we care to show them how great is our God, how beautiful the name is of Jesus. May we help lead them to reconciliation so that one day they too will bow in joyful adoration. Amen? Let us be about that. Let us, let's bow right now and let's come before him. And I want to encourage you, if you already know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, spend this time right now in worship. In your heart, just thank him.
that he is making right the wrong and ultimately it will be made right. And if you don't know Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity right now. The Bible says it's faith that saves you. In Romans 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you, if you could just declare it because you believe it and you truly believe it in your heart, you'll be saved. There's nothing you've, you've had to do already. There's nothing you need to do ever but to believe by faith. Now, I believe that if you do believe by faith, it's going to change you. It's going to change your life. You just keep walking with him. But it, it starts with a declaration of faith, a commitment. And you can do that right now, this moment. And so I want to I pray. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'll say it out loud, and you could just pray it in your own heart as if they were your words and you're talking to God. I just ask that you sincerely mean it in faith. And I believe the Spirit of God will come and fill your heart and you will have the promise of eternity. And so pray something like this. Father God, I thank you so much that you brought me to listen to this truth taught from your word. Thank you that Jesus is in control. Thank you that he holds the universe in his hands and he holds my life in his hands. Today, I want to declare by faith, I believe it. I believe that Jesus died for me to redeem me of my sins. And I believe he rose again to prove he has power. That his power to give life forever. And so I trust you. I entrust my life into your hands. And from this day forward, I walk with hope and assurance that I will overcome, that I will stand forever in heaven, free from every sin and suffering, enjoying the presence of my God. Father God, we thank you so much for that hope. What a beautiful name the name of Jesus is. There's no one higher, no one greater, nothing more powerful. So we sing to your name. We praise you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.